Sometimes folk musicians have a self-deprecating sense of humor. They'll say things like, you literally make tens of dollars playing folk music. Or acknowledge that folk is a four-letter word. Even to this day. I can say firsthand that the term folk uh, didn't always capture my own music. I've always been interested in the music that folk forgot. Ragtime, minstrel music, early rock and roll. I never quite felt like folk singer was enough to describe what I was doing. But eventually, looking back at the history of African American music, I found that the term songster was a perfect fit. From North Carolina Public Radio, WNC, this is American Songster Radio. I'm Dom Flemings. And this episode is part of a six-part series about African-American history in the American West. As a Westerner myself, this subject has captured my imagination and informed the music in ways I never anticipated. My new Smithsonian Folkways album, Black Cowboys, explores the Black Western experience through music. In this podcast, I'll explore the same experience in conversation with a little help from Folkways curator Jeff Place. In this episode, Jeff and I talk about the black roots of country music and its hidden legacy among African-American singers like Henry Thomas and Leadbelly, the great songsters of the West. Let's take a peek into that conversation in front of an audience at Pearl Street Warehouse in Washington, D.C. So you've taken on this moniker, the American songster, and, uh, you know, songster used to be one of those terms that, like, uh, academics and folklorists and people use, and no one knew what it, really what it was, you know. I mean, how would you describe a songster? Well, when I first read about it in, um, I actually read about it in Paul Oliver's book, Songsters and Saints, and it, it pretty much defined it as a musician who sang and played, and that was important to me, was singing and playing at the same time instead of just playing songs and tunes. Someone who sang and played a variety of music for their audience, whatever that audience might have been. And, I mean, for years I struggled with it because I had an interest in, in both folk music and blues, early jazz, ragtime, country music. And, of course, I, you know, I was, uh, I was born in 1982, so there's a lot of different types of music that, are, uh, that have evolved and come out since then. Uh, from indie rock and punk rock and all that stuff and uh, early rock and roll and that was all that stuff I played a little bit of all of that stuff all at one time uh, even though I felt most comfortable with folk music I didn't feel that comfortable calling myself a folk singer and then also folk was a four-letter word you know and, mm-hmm. and that was uh, <laughs> that was something that you know trying to trying to sell the idea of being a folk singer especially out in Arizona where there's not really a very strong folk scene for like doing a lot of gigs it just didn't go over. So when I first came across the the idea of a songster, I, I really went for that. And then um, I guess a couple albums back, I did an album called American Songster, and I thought that was a great title 
for a record. And then it just kind of evolved from there. And yeah. then the, the American Songster kind of describes something that was bigger than myself. And of course, as I'm presenting history and music, I try to present something more than just me as the individual. I try to at least uh, give people uh, little, little uh, crumbs of information that they might be able to reflect on their own experiences, you know, and that's, sure. that's something that's always drawn me in. Yeah, you know, songsters, I think what you were discovering, I think, and, and what a lot of songsters found was like, if you want to make money busking on the streets or on a, a railroad train or whatever, if you play the hits, it could be top, it could be like the top 40 hits of the time or Tin Pan Alley songs and blues and jazz and things people knew, you, you get probably more money in your Oh, yeah. Yeah, your basket, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And then also being someone that likes to trove the archives, I also found that many of the people that were described as songsters, like Papa Charlie Jackson or uh, Lead Belly or um, even uh, Jim Jackson, who was another, Charlie Patton, people like that, when you start thinking about them as songsters and thinking of some of the broader repertoire, they kind of did stuff that wasn't just straight blues because it's, it's also a term that was applied to more of the more of the African-American musicians because it, it evolves from an earlier term. In the 19th century, they had uh, books and they called those songsters and that was just a book of lyrics and people would put different uh, melodies and, of the day and of course in, in cowboy song poetry, a lot of it was written out and then they would tell you what tune the words went to. Like, for example, uh, one of the songs I do on the album, Little Joe the Wrangler, it's done to the tune of Little Old Log Cabin in the Lane, which is an old minstrel song. So it's kind of, it's, it's kind of the cachet of, of melodies next to the words that they use for melodies. Because, again, in a pre-recorded music mass media time, you just kind of had to know the tunes and then you just applied them to the words. And so I felt that the songsters had a lot of variety in their material in a way that, especially as the Great Depression came on, they really cut out, you know, getting the weird stuff. They picked the stuff that they knew was going to sell really well. So that was something that drew me in. Yeah, you know, in, um, on this record and in, in the notes, you talk about a lot of sort of black songsters who were out in the West and a lot of them didn't record ever, you know, but some of them did. But one of them was, uh, he may be one of the earlier people ever, oldest people ever record for us on records, is a guy named Ragtime Henry Thomas, who was born actually in 1870. You know, and he was an old hobo, uh, sort of a figure who kind of just passed through places and stuff. And he played the quills, these cane quills. And uh, his most famous song is Fish and Blues, which is people have heard about Baby Go Fishing all the time, I'll Go Fishing too. Yeah. But he also, Baby Just Allow Me One More Chance, like Dylan did. And he had a whole bunch of other songs uh, oh, yeah. that he did. But he was just this, this crazy character who made just a set of recordings and kind of would vanish back into like his, his hobo life. Yeah, and he even did uh, the Bulldoze Blues, uh, Canned Heat. Uh, they, they transcribed that into uh, Going Up the Country, and they used that melody from Henry Thomas. And they used the flute instead of uh, the quills. Yep. And so once I, got, once I got into Henry Thomas, he was somebody that I think I heard him first on uh, the Yazoo Records album, Before the Blues, and he did a song called Run, Molly, Run. That's just a great number. And so I got into his material, uh, I, I started listening to every Henry Thomas number, and I figured I should become the Henry Thomas guy, the guy that does all Henry Thomas. And so I spent uh, quite a few years uh, learning the style. And, and then also, I guess, uh, my big transition, after, as I went to the Black Banjo Gathering, the first thing that I asked Mike Seeger, I asked him where he got the quills from, because he was really the only living quills player that played in that particular style of Henry Thomas's music that I'd ever heard. And so for me, I hooked up with Mike and uh, visited him out in Lexington, Virginia, and 
Um, I, started, uh, I started learning the quills from him and learned some of the different techniques. And we both used to joke about being, calling ourselves the Thomas brothers because we were the two people who, who, yeah. <laughs> who cared enough to learn this style, you know? <laughs> Actually, John Sebastian's another one. Oh, that's right. John the Love Sebastian. and Spoonful actually had a deep album track called uh, Henry Thomas where they played kazoos. Instead oh, yeah. of, <laughs> you know. Oh, the other obscure instruments yeah, come out. Yeah. You know. And Henry Thomas, for me, was interesting with his varied repertoire because he, he featured popular songs from the 1890s. He had cowboy songs in there as, as well as uh, early blues numbers, kind of in the vein of when you read about W.C. Handy hearing about the blues and the strange music he heard. Uh, Henry Thomas has a song like that. Uh, he also has a, a couple of a couple of other ones that are kind of these interesting narrative ones. And then square dance music, you know? And so as I delved deeper into the cowboy story, I found Henry Thomas fit right within that. So for me also, it was about bringing that idea, the East Texas blues songster into the the uh, interview as cowboy music or at least as a root of cowboy music to kind of show people musically what was going on along with the stories that I was reading about African-American cowboys but let me go and grab my I yep. brought a crazy instrument with me just ah there we go and so this is my good friend Big Head Joe okay <laughs> the giant six-string banjo and so I mentioned Papa Charlie Jackson, and he played a banjo that was similar to this. So I'm kind of meshing together Henry Thomas and Papa Charlie Jackson at the same time. One other unique thing that uh, Henry Thomas did was that he had little medleys he would do on some of the songs he recorded. So he'd start out with one song and then break into a whole bunch of other ones. So I, I put that little medley of, uh, of songs together. One's Take Me Back or Begging Back, an old, it's an old Texas blues song. Uh, Lightning Hopkins did it, and Blind Lemon Jefferson. Make Me a Pal on Your Floor, which about just about everybody did. And then uh, I'm Looking for the Bully of the Town, which is one of the old coon songs from the 1890s. So I'll play a little bit of these quills here. Sounds of Henry Thomas. Also, a feature of the very first picture that's ever been found of Henry Thomas, too. The wonderful record collector John Tefteller let us use Use the photo in the liner notes.
Songster Radio is produced by Joe O'Connell, David Brower, Vania Kennard, and me, Dom Flemings, the American Songster. Be sure to listen to our other episodes in this series on African American history in the American West. There are six in total, and they're all available right now on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. If you're a fan of what we're doing with American Songster Radio, rate the show, post a review, or tell a friend. Until next time, I'm Dom Flemings, the American songster. <laughs>